Hey, it's Chad. I am Wick, and I'm here with Zick. How you doing, Zach? I'm pretty good. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. All right, so we're here okay. for another season of uh, The Mandalorian. It's been a little while. We probably should have done a, an update podcast episode in between, but we're a little lazy. Sorry about that. I, I, tried, I tried to get Chad to do uh, Clone Wars with me, but he, there was no takers there. You want wait? What did you want to do? You wanted to do a Clone Wars podcast? You did not say that. Yeah, you did not. Yes, say we that. did. Yeah, but you wouldn't even watch it. All right. You know what we should do? Okay, we'll do we'll do a Clone Wars podcast, but we'll do it by maybe like every half season, or we'll do a full season review. Oh man, that's gonna take a lot of work. That's gonna be a lot of note taking. There's there are a lot of episodes. There's no way we can review every single episode. Yeah, that's like uh, that's something we'll have to do when we're both retired. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go back and watch a show from 40 years ago. <laughs> it's a, it'd be amazing to think about what what more Star Wars there will be in the next 40 years, the way the last couple of years has gone. That's a good question. Um, we have gone from, well, I guess it's all been under the Kathleen Kennedy regime, but yeah. the plan for Star Wars seems to have changed a lot in in the... How long has it been since Disney bought Star Wars? 2015. Well, they bought it before 2015. That was the first like content that came out. That's when Force Awakens came out. That's when the books, the new books, started coming out. Um, but I think it was 2012, 2013, sometime around there. Yeah, I think it took them a few years before the Force Awakens came out. Yeah, I mean, really, we can go back to what we talked about the movie. The only thing that's really just they had no idea what they were. No plan was the movies. Everything else they've had a pretty. Between books and comics and the TV shows, they've had a pretty cohesive plan. It's just the movies have not been like that. You, do you really feel that that's the case? Because now that I've watched Clone Wars and I've seen some of the books and I've watched the movies, it seems like each has their own lane. Like the, the Clone, Clone Wars, they can get a little wild. They have aliens and mysticism and more magic versus the movies, which is a little bit more grounded. And then the books go heavy into character, but they have like basically anything goes. Yeah, no, I agree with that. They they do definitely stay in their lane. Like they, uh, it's exactly what you said. But I, I feel like there's still a plan. Like there's a plan, and they're still connected. Like and we'll talk about it on this episode. It's it had a pretty good connection from a book, um, and it's it didn't really rewrite it too much. It left a few of the details out, but it it pretty much held to the book. So, but we can get into we can get into that. Okay, you're talking about a book. All right, I'm. I don't. I am not the Star Wars expert. Zach here is the expert. So Zach, you'll have to inform us on on all the various connections and and Easter eggs that came about in this episode. Okay. Yep. I was planning on it. All right. So I don't know if we're gonna go deep into like a recap of the episode itself. So basically, the Mandalorian and the child are in. Uh, a planet that's very urban, and apparently they don't like droids there. I saw a lot of droid, anti-droid graffiti in this location, which is like a stark yeah. difference to what, you know, Mandalorian did not like droids in the first season, and now he seems to be cool with droids. But did you notice that? Well, I think part of the reason he's okay with droids is, because, is from IG-88. That was, I think that kind of changed his mind. I still don't think he likes them all that much, but he's... He had a good experience on top of all his bad experiences, so it's helped a little bit. Mando meets up with a Cyclops dude to try and find other Mandalorian to help him return the child to his people. Did you uh, did you catch who the who the Cyclops guy was? John Leguizamo. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch it in the episode. I had to read it later, but I only saw it in the cast, like the credits at the end. Yeah, he looked really familiar before. Yeah, and then I saw the the cast, but I he looked really familiar even because he was in some of the previews, and I just could not place who he was. But I'm glad they uh, I'm glad they put that in the uh, credits at the end. So the Cyclops, I don't know what his name is, uh, tells Mando to be more remote part of Tatooine um, to a mining village. I forget the name. Do you know the name? Yeah, it's a M- Mos Pelgo. Mos Pelgo. So we we head to a small mining town called Mos Pelgo, where uh, Mando runs into somebody wearing a Mandalorian suit. At first, they ma- they really dragged this out. I thought it was going to be Boba Fett for a quick second, but I could tell this person didn't look like they fit the suit itself. So this is kind of part of the part I was talking about from the book from... There was a trilogy of books that came out right uh, came out once a year, like I think it was 2015, 2016, 2017. They all happened right after Return of the Jedi, and it was kind of some side characters about that. But they had interludes of like things that were going on in the in the galaxy. And in each one of those books, it had an interlude for this guy, Cobb Vanth. Um, and the first interlude was about how he got Boba Fett's armor. So that is Boba Fett's armor. In the story that he gives, meets it matches up pretty well. There's some details that are different from the book, but nothing like earth shattering. Um, and there's also the possibility that Cobb's not being totally truthful with the story because it's Cobb telling the story of how he got the armor. So he could have left some details out because um, one of the big details from the book is he actually sh- they were on a Jawa's um, the the sand crawler together and he basically shot him and because they were fighting over who would take it. Um, he shot him and left him there in the Jawa's uh, sand crawler and ended up taking the armor. Um, but so that part doesn't come in the story he tells, but he could just be leaving that detail out for the Mandalorian to make him not seem like such a bad guy. Yep. And then so, and also just going back to the title card of the, the episode called The Marshal, I pretty much, as soon as they showed that title card, I'm like, oh, this is, yep, this is where we're going. This you is what knew. we're doing. Cause, yeah, because he was, uh, they referred to him as the sheriff or the marshal in the actual books. So as soon as they said that, and there were also all those rumors that, that Timothy Oliphant was in it. This is his kind of prototypical character. Yeah. Um, so the fact that that the title card showed it just kind of, it's like, Oh yes, this is what we're doing. So anybody that's kind of a dork about the books should have automatically known that's what we're doing. Are there any other towns or cities on Tatooine? Is Tatooine the planet or is Tatooine like, yeah. Yeah, Tatooine's the planet. There's uh, like most Eisley's the big one. That's where Luke and, and Han meet. And that's also where they have the episode in the first season with the um, with like the young bounty hunter, um, the up and coming guy. That's a that happens in most Eisley. There's another one called Mos Espa. That's that is where, if I remember right, that's episode one, like where they hang out with. Um, that's where like Sebulba is and all the pod racing stuff. Yeah, when the marshal shows up again, <clears throat> and he starts talking, and I was confused whether or not it was going to be Boba Fett or not. Maybe not confused, but that was exciting. Part of me wanted it to be Boba Fett, just because we've never addressed this issue of whether Boba Fett's dead or not. And then part mm-hmm. of me is like, this is way too quick for him to just pop up all of a sudden. So if right. his, the question is really, if his suit of armor is off, and the Jawas had it, how did they get it? 
so they they went into this in the book a little bit about how they got um, like what some of the scraps they had were in when when um, Cobb Vant got the armor originally. Um, they said there was a lot of scraps from Jabba's um, barge, like the one that blew up in Return of the Jedi. There's some there's a there's one or two lines in there that I guess the, a lot of that wreckage fell into the Sarlacc, so he he ate it and basically ripped up his insides. Um, so that's one of the theories of how he got out is that it ripped enough holes in the Sarlacc that he was able to climb out, basically climb out from all the wreckage from the, the barge. And now the other, we'll talk about it a little more, but they kind of establish in the, the battle, the big battle from this, that Mando's able to fly right out of the belly of the crate Dragon. Why couldn't Boba Fett do the exact same thing? He's, he's got his jetpack on still. Um, so that's easily a plausible thing now that he could have just, once he got, once he got himself figured out in there, he could have just fl- flown right out. It could have happened right then, right off camera. We just never saw it. Well, so the Sarlacc is considerably larger than the dragons. I think they could, they, no, no, they, they did it the other way around. They said that was an abandoned Sarlacc mine. And they said, how can, there's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc mine. And they say, yeah, there is when the crate dragon eats the Sarlacc. Okay, so I was looking at images of Sarlaccs, and they, I mean, they seem pretty massive. Great, great dragon is a lot bigger. What it, so what is it called? A crate dragon? Yeah, crate. I think it's uh, in Star Wars. I think it's spelled uh, K R A Y T. It's pronounced the same way as the movie or the planet from Episode Eight. Um, crate. Yeah, but it's it's been established. Um, so the sound that. Um, Episode four, when um, Obi Wan kind of rescues Luke from the Sand People, from the from the Tusken Raiders, he makes that kind of sound to scare him off. He's he's mimicking a crate dragon. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. So uh, the the premise of this episode, after we meet uh, the Marshal, is we find out that the Marshal is not a Mandalorian. So that goes out the window. We we still need to find other Mandalorians to help get the child to its people. Um, but the Mandalorian sees the sheriff or the marshal wearing this armor and says, hey, that doesn't belong with you. That belongs with my people. Let, I, I need it back. So they come to an arrangement where uh, there's a creature that is terrorizing this town. Uh, it looks like a giant sandworm from Dune and it's called the Crate Dragon. Great dragon, right? And it's a huge thing, and it, it, it keeps coming through the town and eating random um, animals, husbandry, um, who knows what's next. So they come to an arrangement, they say, okay, if you help us kill this dragon, I'll let you have the suit back. Mendo says, cool, and they go off and they have this adventure. So they run, they go over to, I guess, a, a, a part of... So I'm, I don't know how they made this connection, but they need to figure out where the dragon's coming from. So they go out and they t- and Mando apparently is cool with the sand people. If you remember back from the episode, um, say the same episode, I can't remember the number, but it was one of the Tatooine episodes in season one. They get kind of um, not ambushed, but they get snuck up on by the, the sand people and he's able to communicate with them. Um, so he obviously, I mean, they established in this episode, he knows, he, he knows their language, he knows their, their grunts and he knows their hand signals. Um, 
enough to, to communicate with them. And they, they kind of have a mutual respect as they both see each other as warriors. Um, so they, I think they're cool with each other because of that. Okay. So the sand people have also been terrorized by this dragon and they know where the dragon uh, lives. And we talked about this earlier. It's in a former Sarlacc pit. Mando convinces the people of the town and the sand people to work together and we will fight this sand, uh, this dragon. So skipping ahead, we've, we come to the climax of this episode, which is the battle against the, the dragon. And this, I, I thought they, they kind of tease you a little bit because you think the battle is going to end very quickly when they, they, they uh, make an explosion and they blow up. It, it makes it, it looks like it blows up, but it's still alive. And then we go into the next phase of the battle, and this thing is monstrous and very strong. It's huge, and it requires both the Mandalorian and the Marshal to use their flying jetpacks to battle this thing um, in kind of an aerial manner. So it was very cool. It took some time. They end up blowing it up by letting the dragon swallow Mandalorian and a uh, Bantha covered in explosives. The Mandalorian flies out of the, of the dragon and blows it up. And everyone's happy-go-lucky, yay. The, the, this episode, it, it, it kind of, it was, I was entertained by it. I was happy to have it back. Baby Yoda, the child, is cute. Um, but it's, it, it's shouting out one thing to me that I forgot about the first season is that this show is more a procedural than a serialized um, series. So we're going to see different stories in every single episode. And you can almost mix and match. Like if we went back and watched season one, we can almost watch it out of order and it wouldn't really matter. There'd be bits and pieces that were important for you to to remember if you really cared. But if you're just watching it for pure entertainment purposes, all you need to know is that we find the child in episode one and that Mandalorian doesn't like droids. There's a bit of an arc, but you can both watch this as an, a procedural or as a serialized show and it works both ways. Um, but part of me wants it to be a more dramatic season arc versus these little chopped up pieces so i don't know if you're doing it intentionally but you're leaving out the most important part of the episode which is going to lead to the serialization of this season okay so but see this is the hardcore star wars fan no it's not no it it is not okay all right so what... i've already i've talked to about four people that are not hardcore star wars fans they they've known immediately about this okay well i'm an idiot all right at the very end of this episode as they're going back to the town there's this dude that looks wild standing on top of a hill watching the Mandalorian and the child leave. I did not recognize this person, but apparently Zach does. So Zach, can, wait, you're gonna, give me clues. Give me clues. Maybe we can figure it out. Okay, let me. when is the last time you watched episode two? Oh, God. It, it's been a long time. I, the only part of episode two I ever watched is when Yoda uh, goes off on Count Dooku. Okay. So, do you remember the battle? Do you remember the scene in Episode Two when Obi Wan goes to um, where the the cloning facility? Uh, 
I yes, because those those giant aliens with the skinny necks freak me out. Yeah, yeah. Who does he who does he fight in that? He fights. Do you, uh, doesn't he fight uh, Jabo Fett? Jango Fett. Yeah, that's Jango Fett. Yes. So that guy at the end didn't look familiar to you. No. That is the same actor that played Jango Fett. That is Boba Fett. What? That guy. That guy who turned around is Boba Fett. That's Boba Fett. That is Boba Fett. It's the same actor. It's Tamir Morrison. Um, he's aged. He's aged up the 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 right amount of time. He may be a little older than what Boba should be. Boba should be about in his early forties at this point. Um, but he also was in a in a Sarlacc pit, probably getting ripped up. So he's just not going to look his best. Oh, and he's on Tatooine. Oh, that is Boba Fett. You know, I I just looked at a picture of him, and. Damn, it does look like him, but he has, it looks like he has no hair. Yeah, he has, he, basically his eyebrows are gone, his hair's gone. Um, and what, what a lot of people are thinking is that's from the acid in the, in being in the Sarlacc pit. Oh, yes, yes. The Sarlacc, well, the dragon had, has acid and it spits on, but does it Sarlacc? Yeah, that's, we, we don't know. That's what a lot of people are theorizing, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. But I mean, he obviously got roughed up when he was in there. Oh my gosh! I I can't believe I missed this. It it I was just assuming that because they said, "Oh, this guy's got Boba's suit," and um, you know, it, this is gonna kind of put to bed or at least suggest that oh, maybe later on we'll do with the Boba Fett thing. <laughs> Boba Fett is alive and well. Maybe not well. He's alive. Yep, he's alive. Top of a hill, watching these guys go away. So, I, but we're and and the Mandalorian is in search of other Mandalorians. But that's the other thing you got to remember is Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian. His dad wasn't a Mandalorian. He just wore stolen armor that he it was Beskar armor, so it was like the best armor he could get, especially to fight Jedi's. Um, and he inherited this armor from his dad. So it's he's not a Mandalorian. He just he just dressed he just dressed in the right armor. So is Jango Fett officially is he a Mandalorian? No, he is not. They mentioned that in episode two that he is not a Mandalorian. He's just a bounty hunter that wears the wears the armor. Huh. So, in watching Clone Wars, and um, you know now watching the Mandalorian, I've kind of come to appreciate that the Mandalorian lore and the creed and the people is very complex and nuanced, and they've gone through iterations of it. Um, and they clearly don't have the same, they don't all believe in the same thing. They have differences of opinion. They, they clearly have rebelled against their leaders. And, um, this is, so what I'm talking about is happening in between episode one and two, or maybe two and three of, of the movies. Yeah. Between two and three. Okay. So the armor not everybody's wearing the armor on that planet it's very right. it's just i guess the people who are what they're basically they're warriors they're they're mili- they're military they're that's that's the guys to get the armor so but in these episodes of clone wars the majority of the people are not wearing the armor they're not adhering to this creed so the people that we're running into now are what we think of the mandalorians uh, in the show, The Mandalorian, um, is specifically the people who made up their, their military. 
Well, it's it's more the people that have taken the creed of the Mandalorian. They're not necessarily Mandalorians by birth, but they have accepted this creed of being a, what it what it means to be a Mandalorian. So that's that's the best distinction I've heard so far is that you can be a Mandalorian and not accept the creed and you're not you just kind of live by normal people rules or you can be Mandalorian by accepting the creed and do kind of living like a Mandalorian warrior, which I guess involves that rule of not taking your helmet off, at least at least the newer rule, because they did, obviously didn't used to have that rule. So that's the thing that I wanted to touch on. And they, this creed that we're talking about now, that I don't know if that creed existed between episodes two and three. Yeah, and they probably, because they've talked about the uh, the Great Purge, where, they, where basically the Empire killed off most of the Mandalorians, um, it probably got established after that as kind of a survival creed almost. Um, that's, that's, that's my theory. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what it feels like. That's what it feels like to me as well. Like, I don't think any of this stuff was established during the, the movies. I think it happens off screen and maybe we'll have an entire, uh, series dedicated just to that. But so wh- when did the purge of Mandalore occur? It had to happen, um, after, um, after not Clone Wars, but after um, uh, Rebels, because there's still there's still plenty of Mandalorians around, but they they are being controlled by the Empire at that point, but they haven't been like killed off at that point. So it happens somewhere in Clo- and um, Rebels happens right up to basically right up to uh, Episode Four. So it's sometime in that basically original trilogy time frame, or either right after, maybe right after Return of the Jedi. Um, when the Empire basically does the Mandalorian purge and kills off a bunch of it. It probably happened sometime in the time frame of the original movies. Okay. So that that covers the episode. Um, in general, I, I liked it, but, you know, touched on my criticisms. It feels like it's it's made for a broad audience, but it also gives the the hardcore Star Wars fans um, the fan service that they, that they love. One thing I did realize, or did I, I started to pay attention to now, is um, the cinematography remains excellent. And after seeing the documentary capturing how they, with the technology they use to, to make this show, I'm even more like amazed by how they're pulling this off. Because if you saw the documentary, a lot of the scenes, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the scenes they're doing is within a stage um, in Manhattan Beach. Uh, the stage may be, I don't know, maybe like 50 yards in diameter. It's a, it's a circle and they have LED screens everywhere going around you and, and above you. And they project or they, sorry, they, they, they show the environment where they will be in the episode on the screen and they are filming it as though it's a stage, but the quality of the image is so good that it looks like you're present in that location. I'm I'm just very impressed by what they're doing. Yeah, the 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 uh, thinking about that same thing, thinking about that after is how they did the crate dragon battle scene. I mean that 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 looks it's amazing to me they did that in that in the volume. How do you do that? That looks like something that had to be on location somewhere they had to find this giant mountain that looked like this um they've got guys flying around in jetpacks and all of it looks about as real as you could possibly make it look and they're filming it like they did it's 
that that's what really took me that was the part of the episode that i just couldn't believe was that the battle with great dragon yeah one interesting thing you said earlier was the similarities to dune now at this point i have read the read the first book and you've seen the preview for the movie coming out gave me a lot of vibes from the sandworm in that preview I don't know if you remember from the preview, they show a quick um, like fighting scene when they're wearing the shields, like the personal shields, and they kind of have this like shimmery glow to them when somebody strikes it. The Gamorreans fighting at the beginning with those axes, that gave me the exact same kind of vibe because they weren't they were hitting each other and they weren't like damaging each other. There was just kind of this gl- like glimmering spark that came off of it. Um, so it was almost like, wow, that uh, that looked exactly like that to me. I wonder if they're giving uh, homage to Dune. I mean, yeah, they, clearly there's, they can't have made this episode and not have thought about it. And, and um, Dune is a very, you know, foundational piece of sci-fi. And it yeah. has basically influenced a lot of what you see. Oh, and one thing I forgot to touch on before before we, we sign off, the Jawas... They, so they blow up the sand or the the dragon, and they're going through all the parts of the dragon. And some people are taking the meat to eat, but the Jawas, the Tuscan Raiders, find an egg. No, well, it wasn't an egg. It's called a um, uh, a crate pearl, and that's actually a thing from legends. It's just this super valuable thing. Um, it had like different uh, property, like almost like force properties. Like it could almost be used like as a lightsaber crystal. Um, but that was like that was again something they pulled out of legends that they never needed to but they put it right in there okay so it's it's not an egg it's it's just a pearl okay so that sums up the majority of the episode we touched on some of the easter eggs but i'm sure there are others that went completely over my head and maybe you caught zach the first the first one that struck me um we talked about this in a couple episodes last year is baby yoda keeps seeing more and more and more violence. Um, he sees it in the he sees it in the opening um, fight scene. Um, he almost sees it when Cobb Vanth and Mandor are getting ready to square off before the crate dragon shows up. Um, I think this is all kind of showing that Baby Yoda is going to be going dark side at some <laughs> point. Or he's going to. He, I mean, he already did last season. He choked Cara Dune without without any kind of kind of a protection of, of Mandalorian. So I think. More, I think there's more to come on that. They they keep intentionally showing his face when bad things are happening. Um, one of the next throw-ins I kind of liked was when he's talking to when he's uh, interrogating the guy uh, John Leguizamo's character to get the location of the Mandalorian. Um, he tells him Tatooine. He's like, "Really, Tatooine? I have to go back to Tatooine." Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a that's kind of a fun jab from Favreau that's saying. Yeah, I know we're going back to tattooing. Like people are probably sick of tattooing. We were there for that's, episode that's four. Episodes, yeah, and people are just tired of it. Um, but I think it's also him throwing that in there to say, "Hey, just bear with us. There's a good reason we're going back." And that's why I think it's part of the reason I think um, I think Cobb Vanth might have a bigger character arc through the through this through the season. But I also think Boba Fett's going to play in more. We shouldn't be doing this again, but there's a reason we're doing it. Yeah, and um, that, that was going to be one of my like. Well, I think I've already kind of critiqued in one of the, the issues, not issues, but one of the the qualms I had with the episode is that I kind of wanted there to be a setup for what this season is going to be. And they're mm-hmm. hinting at it rather than just stating it outright and like moving on into moving into it um, right away. Right. 
Um, next kind of fun little Easter egg is one of the uh, when he he lands at the mechanic shop in Mos Eisley, the same mechanic from the first episode, first season. Um, we get to see R five, who is the the astromech droid. Um, that's the one that I think we talked about it in last season. He was in the bar too when they go to um, uh, Mos Eisley, but he's the um, he's the droid that blows up when uh, when Luke is picking out the droids and he picks C three PO and he picks R five. And then R five starts scooting out and he blows up and he picks R two instead. Okay. Um, that was that. Yeah, that was that same droid. So he's still he's still hanging around uh, hanging around uh, Mos Eisley. So the next uh, kind of fun throw in was I think this is one of the good one of the first good up close and things we've got of a week way, which is the um, the bartender at the uh, at Mos uh, Mos Pelco where um, he meets Cobb Van. That's the same. Um, species as uh hondo hondo anaka the pirate in oh yeah uh, clone wars and rebels this is the first time we've really gotten a good like on like live action version of one of those guys um next thing was oh Cobb vance did you uh, catch what kind of speeder he was riding mm-hmm. it looks like a pod it racer a, like one of the yeah and it, it looked exactly like half of anakin's pod racer from from episode one so it could be it could be just a salvaged half of his pot. It could just be one that looks exactly like it. But um, that's I, I thought that was kind of a fun thing. Um, I did like the throw in of the uh, I don't know if you noticed it when him and Cobb, uh, when they're fighting the great dragon, they're both in their jetpacks. Mm-hmm. And he's basically he, Mando's made the decision that he's going to get swallowed with uh, with the with the Bantha. And he hits he hits the side or kicks the side of it, and he kind of just goes flying off crazy. That's kind of like a that's a nod to episode four or episode six when Han Solo um, just luckily hits the side of uh, Boba Fett, and that's what ends up putting him in the Sarlacc pit because his his uh, oh. his jetpack just kind of misfires and goes crazy. It's the same jetpack, so it's it's kind of like saying, "Oh, this is why this happened." It's almost like a, a, a joke type deal. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was funny. They threw that in. I, I, I'm just. I am curious to see if they explain how Boba got out. Um, did he fly out with a jetpack? Was he rescued by Jawas? Why, how did he lose his armor? Like, did he did he get out and he was just so beat that he just passed out in the deserts and the and the Jawas stripped it from him? Um, who knows? Um, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. It'd be a very uh, missed opportunity if this is just you only see Boba once and that's it, or they they don't come back to him for another season or two. I don't think that's what they're gonna do. Um, I kind of have a feeling it's gonna be almost a he's still gonna be a bad guy. He's gonna find a way to team up with Moff Gideon, um, something like that. Um, but I don't know. That's just me speculating at this point. Yeah. Yep, and and the one big piece of news that we have to address uh, from from when we were on hiatus was the fact that Ahsoka Tano is supposed to show up in this season. I wonder if she will be coming back in a major role, or if she's just going to pop up as you know a single episode or a couple episodes cameo yeah. type situation. Um, I mean, one of the big things that they've said a couple times that his quest is to find other Mandalorians. And at this time, Ahsoka should be with Sabine Wren, who is a Mandalorian. So um, that's that's probably where the connection is going to come in. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, just in last two quick things. Um, I love that they 
They did it two seasons in a row. They'd save the last second of the first episode for a big time reveal, even though Chad didn't get the reveal on this one. <laughs> but I mean, the last second of the first season was when Baby Yoda shows up, and the last second of this first episode of this season is when Boba Fett shows up. So it it uh, sets a nice high bar for season three to show us something good. So people, okay. So you you talk to casual lay fans. Non-clerical, <laughs> outside of the the hardcore fans, and you said, do you recognize who that was? And they said, oh, it looks like the dude from... They No, they didn't say that. They said, Bob, oh, yeah, Boba Fett's alive. What? It, yeah. That, okay, well, yeah. I... I the, so the the big test will be, I'm going to... I haven't... My wife has not watched it yet. She's going to... We're going to watch it here in the next day or two together. My wife. I will not tell her, but I will quiz her at the end and ask her if she knows who it is. Well, she, um, she's probably seen Star Wars more times than I have based on just, like, living in your household. <laughs> so I'm curious to see what she says when she when she watches it, if she recognizes who it is. I, I, did, um, I didn't recognize it at all. I, I just thought it would... I mean, I, I knew it had some significance, but my brain... I just turned it off in my brain. I don't care who this is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I care, but I didn't try yeah. and piece it together. So, overall, very happy to have Mandalorian back. Excited to see this episode. Thought it was good overall. And looking forward to the future. Same here. This is uh, Zick and Wick. Signing off from 2020. Episode 1, Season 2, complete. Well, see you guys. Bye.